Welcome to the second part of our four-part series talking about creatively overcoming innovation bias using the logistics market as an example. Last time, we began digging into a deeper understanding about bias by comparing our neuroplasticity to how rivers are formed and distinguishing between the differences of afraid and fear. We are going to pick up that discussion about fear right now. Fear, F-E-A-R. Fear is by far our strongest emotion. It conquers everything. It leads to stress, to doubt, anxiety, nervousness, indecision, failure, and anger. And what it does to us is it elicits our fight or flight or freeze response. And I think everybody's well acquainted with that. So I'm not going to talk about that. But why does it do that? If we look at our inner brain, there's three really interesting facets to it. You have the amygdala, and that's where our emotions, such as fear, really come striking out of. What I want you to notice is the hippocampus is right next to it. Now, the hippocampus is kind of our starting point for how memories are formed. When we start to form memories, and they're getting hit by fear first, we really start to entrench with trauma. We start to really dig deeper into our rivers and we do it much faster. So when young people are traumatized, their neuroplasticity gets set extraordinarily fast and it's deep. And as we just said, once it's in there and it's really deep, it's hard to get out. What if we move into our teenage years and we take a look at that pituitary gland where most of our hormones come from? Something of note is our frontal cortex isn't really developed until we're about 25, and that's where a lot of the logic and reasoning takes place. So in our teen years, we have the amygdala and the hippocampus kind of working in tandem, and then we start throwing in all of these hormones, and they start to entrench and flood our brain, which is how we're genetically predispositioned because we need to survive and make it to the next generation. And to do that, we need to be social so that we can find mates and survive as a collective, and it's just easier. So those two things, of those aspects of being humans, make sense when we look at all of our biology and how we start to make memories, and why fear has allowed those to happen. But that fear is what we will always go back to, because it's so deep, it's so fast. It is our bias to the point where all of the decisions that we ever make, every single one of them, is based in emotion. Even if it is the most logical, data-driven decision, it is a decision based in emotion. And here's the emotion. It's the ultimate one. It's the emotion of needing to be right. We have to be right because when we're wrong in our heads, we are now a social exile, right? Nobody, nobody wants to be around the wrong person. We can't look weak in front of others. All of these things that go through the person who perceives themselves as being wrong. People don't care if you're wrong, unless you're wrong like all of the time and you cost them a lot of different monies or relationships, but that's not how we interpret it. 
That's not the fear that's driving us. And you know what that fear really is? It's false evidence appearing real. So I took fear and made it an acronym. False evidence appearing real. To move past that, one of the very first things that you need to learn is how to let go of the need to be right. How to allow yourself to be wrong in front of others. And if you can do just that, you will start to break down your bias. You will naturally be open. You will naturally be present with others. And the fun part is that you will naturally be happier because you will have a new perception of what it's going to take to move things forward because you don't have to be quote unquote right, you just need to be moving forward. And people that are looking to move forward are able to understand that their river, that their stream, that their neuroplasticity might not be the path to get somewhere that they've never been. And they also aren't worried about failing because they feel that failing is a great way to learn. They understand that through failure, through that stimulus response, that they are going to be able to move forward. They are going to be able to naturally try something. It didn't work. I'm going to stop doing that because I don't have to be right. I recognize it didn't work. I'm just going to stop doing that. And then I'm going to move on. Fail, F-A-I-L. What they're going to consider failure to be is they're going to take it from failure to fail. And they're going to call it a first attempt in learning. Now, that sounds simple. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It's easy when we're starting out in life. It is by far the fastest process. It's the natural process. It's how babies learn. But as we get older, our rivers of neuroplasticity have formed our bias. That's really hard to fight, especially when those biases have become automatic. Automatic habits. So when I talk about habits, I'm not necessarily talking about that conscious good habit or bad habit that we do, that we know we really shouldn't do that or we really need to do this. I'm talking about the automatic habits that we don't notice. The ones that are a direct result of our bias and is based in usually having to be right. And I'm gonna give you some examples to get a little bit of a deeper understanding of exactly what I'm talking about. Think back, and if you don't have kids, just imagine this being a scenario, right? When children are learning how to get dressed, it's kind of cute when they're super little and they pull their pants on their head or they put a shirt on wrong and then they just kind of go running around. Kind of cute, we kind of laugh, and then we get them and we just fix it for them. But a lot of the time that that kid's about four years old or five years old, when they're starting into school, into education, and it's the morning and everybody's rushed and everybody's running late, it's no longer cute. It just makes you angry. And then the kid gets yelled at. Now, I'm not defending the kid in that scenario, but let's look at it this way. What if the child still conceives clothes as just covering their body? Or maybe they've learned the habit of this used to get laughs, why doesn't it get laughs now? Everybody's stressed out, I'm trying to de-stress everybody by making them laugh, and I'm just getting yelled at. Arguably, the kid isn't right, 
for trying to put the clothes on OA because that's not how they're designed. But again, that goes back to a collective understanding. Let me give you a second example that might be a little bit more personal, driving. Think about all of the things that even if you don't get road rage and you don't start shouting, that annoy you about other drivers. And there's a bunch. They didn't use their blinker or their turner there. They are braking unnecessarily. They're leaving massive gaps in between vehicles. There's no way that they should be halfway out into the intersection waiting to take that turn. Whatever it is, something that you notice and it just irks you. And for some people, results in true road rage. Whose habit is it that is irking you? Is it their habit? Or is it that their habit isn't your habit? That's not what you would do. That's not how you do it. And it's that type of automatic response that we need to be cognizant of. Because when most people hear about bias and perception, they get the notion of it. And yeah, that does kind of hold me back. But they don't understand it. And that's what we're trying to achieve in this first part, is understanding it a little bit more. And when we start to bring habits in and seeing that immediate reaction, the way you can understand it and do something about it is by recognizing your bias as you judge others and how that makes you feel. And if that elicits some type of fear. And remember, fear is our strongest emotion and it is false evidence appearing real. That guy must be an idiot because whatever they did. And then other people that do that, they're all idiots too. What I'm asking you to do is when you start to feel that fear, that anger, that anxiety, that frustration, recognize that it is a bias. And that bias is creating beliefs about groups of people that aren't necessarily true. Beliefs, man, they are a struggle. Belief over fact. There's an old saying that bees don't waste their time explaining to flies that honey is better than, well, you get the idea. However, that means that the perception of the bee and its belief that honey is better makes the fly wrong. But in the fly's mind, what it goes after is better. Well, who's actually right? Both because that's what their preference is. But when you first heard that saying, most people naturally agree with the bee because we also find honey to be better. Now, that's a really simple example, but understand that the belief of the bee, no matter what it presents, factually or not, to that fly would never change the fly's belief and vice versa. You see, facts, true facts, can't win. They will never beat a belief because a belief is tied to emotions. So you have to have emotions to conquer beliefs. And the deeper the belief, the worse it is. The deeper the bias of wanting to stay the same, the more difficult it is. Resistance to change. And I will tell you, if somebody actually says something in public or publishes it publicly, there is no way that they can be wrong. 
It is a deep-rooted thing that once we've professed it, we have to defend it to the hilt. Why? Because we have to have a need to be right. We can't be wrong. We can't be ostracized from our social groups. It's how we survive. It's how we make it into the next generation. And what it does is it creates a trap. And that trap is so prevalent that it actually creates different mechanisms to resist change. Because that's what we're talking about. Changing our bias. Changing us. In fact, if you have the opportunity, read Robert Cialdini's book called Influence. He talks about these traps and the strength to resist change and how they will absolutely just be oblivious to any type of logic. In addition to the trap that people get into with just their beliefs, there's the unknown, a natural fear for us. It's different. I don't know what that is. It's uncomfortable. And it acts like an invisible fence surrounding us in our belief. Think of toxic relationships that as an outsider, objectively, who's not emotionally tied, who doesn't have that belief and doesn't have that habit of life living in it, you can objectively say, it's so much better if they were to just get out. Why don't they? I don't understand. But the toxic relationship is what they know. They know how bad it is. And by knowing how bad it is, even if it's not pleasurable, there's still a form of comfort. If I'm in a bad relationship and I leave, what am I going to do for housing, money, friendship? What am I going to do? And that comfort of the known is, is kind of like a drug. It's super addicting. It's addicting on purpose because when we're in comfort, we have a semblance of stability. And stability is really predictable. And humans like predictability. So that's why when things are stable and we're comfortable, we can kind of get lulled into, I'm okay growing at 3%. I'm okay growing at 5%. And looking at 12% year on year, yeah, that's really attractive, but I don't believe we can do that. Of course you can. What it requires is you breaking your bias down, being open, getting out of your river, and exploring with others to form those lakes of collectiveness where a lot of fun and openness naturally take place. Physical Rewire Exercise. I'd like you to do an exercise with me. You can close your eyes if you like, but do kind of sit up or preferably stand up. I want you to take your arms and you're gonna have your palms face each other and you're gonna take your arms directly above your head. And as you do that, hold it for just a second, but when you bring them back down, naturally cross them and set them on your chest, right at your lower ribs. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Take another breath. Hopefully that feels natural and comfortable to you. And that's great. And we're gonna do that again with one difference. So take those arms up, put them above your head, palms facing each other. Now, when you bring your arms down, cross them the other way and set them on your chest. Take that deep breath. Let it out. 
Does it feel as comfortable? Does it feel a little off? It should, because your body has a preference of which way that feels comfortable. It is a habit. It's automatic. Here's the amazing part about that. If you were to do that exercise where you take your arms up, bring them down, deliberately the wrong way or the opposite way, 40 times in a row, and you did that three times a day, and you did that for 20 days, you will naturally rewire your brain. It is physically possible to change your neuroplasticity. I want you to keep that in mind as we move into our next section. In our next session, we're going to be talking about creatively overcoming habits that actually form bias. Join me for part three as we take a look at how to creatively utilize some simple tools to break through bias and crush fear with action. If you subscribe, you'll get an automatic notice when we get that part loaded. I certainly would appreciate a like or even a comment or review. Cheers.